Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Based on how we've been looking at the Parsha, I hope that you will also look up the speeches um, or speech of uh, President Biden and also the poem that Amanda Gorman wrote and look at it kind of in the same way that, that we do with the Parsha. There's been a lot of really beautiful like quotes to come out of both, but uh, to specifically be able to look at it as a piece of text is something that I really enjoyed doing over the past few days. Um, so I just wanted to offer that because that's what we do here with Torah. And so I just wanted to offer that that's something that you can do as well with those pieces uh, of of art moving forward. Um, I also learned from Rabbi Brad Artson, who I had a meeting with yesterday, that Amazing Grace has a very interesting history. And if you don't know it, you should. Um, I didn't I didn't particularly like the performance of Amazing Grace. We can talk about that another time. Um, but <laughs> I the the history of it made it a very poignant um, piece to be singing, especially right before. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, especially right before um, Amanda Gorman spoke and mentioned how she came from um, from a history of slaves. So anyway, two just two pieces for you to look into and, and enjoy over Shabbos if you haven't already. Um, and I will pass it over to Rabbi Shapiro. Parshat Bo, every uh, two-sport athlete from the 90s favorite Torah portion. Chapter 12, uh, we are pretty far along in the Exodus narrative. We are on the cusp of getting the heck out of Egypt. Um, and the verses that we're going to be looking at and, and the lead up to them to give the context um, is what God is saying to Moses and Aaron in, in sort of the uh, final stages before the people actually leave Egypt. By the way, in honor of, we should note that Moses and Aaron is particularly appropriate today, given the death of Hank Aaron. I just want to that's a very good point. Metaphor. Yes, great point. Thank you for bringing it up. My 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 dad pointed out there have been a, a lot of uh, baseball Hall of Famers who have passed away over the past uh, couple of months. So yes, even weeks. Yep. Yep. I thought I thought you were going to say one of my favorites oh. because he was a Milwaukee Brave when I was a child in Milwaukee when we uh, were in the World Series. Oh, very nice. Bonnie, I, I didn't know you were so strongly identified with the Milwaukee Braves. Well, I'm really not. I'm not such a sports person, but, you know. That's what I'm saying. When there was a downtown parade when we won, you know. Oh. Exciting. That's a big that's, deal. That's very cool. Okay. Well, we are we are reaching broadly this week. That's wonderful. Okay. So, very good. Um, and, yes. Uh, Yes, remembering Hank Aaron, baseball great. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, back in the Exodus narrative, uh, God speaks to Moses and Aaron. Um, we, we start talking about time, uh, that this month is going to be uh, the beginning of months. As, as we know, right, even though we celebrate Rosh Hashanah, the new year in Tishrei, Nisan is actually the first month of, of the calendar. 
right? That that sort of uh, funky calendrical uh, sense that there are multiple New Years. Uh, and yes, we have one coming up this week as well with Tu Bishvat for the trees. Um, so this is our New Year, right? This is the first of the months for for us uh, as as a people. That one of the ways we mark freedom. Uh, that we that we know we're free is by having freedom in terms of how we define time, um, and then we move into the more the more ritual sense. Uh, God telling, God saying that all the people of Israel should take uh, each household should take a lamb, um, and even if the household is too small for a lamb for themselves, that they sh- that they should. Uh, share it. They're going to eat it together. Specifics around what the lamb needs to be like without a blemish language that resonates projecting forward into the sacrificial system that we will be hearing uh, plenty about uh, in a couple of weeks from now. Um, to keep watch over it, that there's sort of this uh, interstitial period where you, you have the lamb, but you have not yet sacrificed it and then you sacrifice it at twilight again like that that in between in between time in between you take some of the blood you put it on the doorposts uh the side and the lintel over at the top of the door frame uh you consume it it should be roasted um and uh, everybody in the house who loves their hillel sandwich uh here you go you should eat it uh with oops Oh, it's hopping around. There we go. Should eat it um, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. Yum, yum, delicious. Don't eat it raw. Don't eat it cooked with water that it's roasted. Okay, moving out of the cookbook section of the Parsha. Uh, <laughs> you shouldn't have any left over. Right? You should you should fully consume it or you should burn it. Um, and you should be you should be ready to go. Make sure your loins are girded, as I always say. Sandals on your feet, staff in your hand, uh, and eat it quickly. So all of those... I that sandals are on your feet here, as opposed to sandals off your feet when Moses saw God in the burning bush. Anyway, continue. Correct. Correct. It's a good, uh, I always say, if you're going to wander through the desert for 40 years, you should make sure that you have your shoes on. Well, isn't it interesting that... Uh, yes, yes, yes. I know, I know. Okay. Yes, that, that Moses took his shoes off his feet to, to get uh, the narrative started, and now they're being told specifically to put their shoes on their feet. Is that what you're indicating, Rabbi Schatz? Well, and that that was a holier moment than this one, right? Uh-huh. That, that there's something interesting about... They didn't have to mention sandals. They don't say have pants on, right? They didn't have to mention... Oh, gird your loins. Okay, fine. They don't say have a shirt on. They don't tell you other parts of clothing to have on is all I'm trying to say. Um, But they do mention sandals, which, of course, just makes us think back to when sandals were mentioned before with the burning bush. So anyway, we don't have to dwell on it. I just bring it up. It's making me think about my kids. Okay, guys, get dressed. I'm wearing underwear. Okay, we'll also put pants on. Well, you didn't say put pants on. I'm already dressed. Okay, put pants on. Okay, Put a shirt on too. Oh, but you didn't say I needed to put it anyway. That's a little window into what things are like in my house, uh, usually at around 8.45 in the morning. Okay, getting into the actual verses we're going to be looking at with that context. We're going to be looking at chapter 12, verses 12, 13, and maybe even 14. Um, So we've got the ritual set up. We know the people need to be ready to go. We know what the menu is for that evening, um, but we're going to hear a little bit about what's actually going to be happening 
um, in the land uh, uh, in, of Egypt that night. The Avarti the Eretz Mitzrayim Belayla Hazeh, and I will I will pass through. I will go through the land of Egypt that night. The Hiketi Chol Bechor the Eretz Mitzrayim, and I will strike. I will strike down each firstborn in the land of Egypt. Adam the Ad Behema, both man and beast. Uvechol Elohei Mitzrayim Eseh Shvatim Ani Adonai, and I will execute judgment. Uh, I will I will meet out punishments as the translation has it here uh, against all the gods of Egypt. I am uh, I the Lord. I I I uh, I Yud at the very specific name of God. And the blood shall be for you as a sign upon the houses that you are that you are in uh, and I will see the blood and I will pass over you and there will not be upon you a plague to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt and you shall remember this day, it shall be a day of remembrance, and you shall celebrate it as a festival to God, uh, for your generations, it shall be a, uh, an, an, eternal, uh, an eternal law, it should always be this way, that you should celebrate on this day. Uh, I, I, I will state my, I will share with you what I said to Rabbi Schatz, which was, uh, really, we want to get into the celebrating the vengeful God part of the story. And she said, that's not what these verses are about. So I look forward to hearing Rabbi Schatz tell us what these verses are actually all about. <laughs> I didn't say it's not what they're about. I said, that's not how I read them. Okay. Okay. Very good. Anyway, those are the verses, chapter 12, verses 12, 13, and 14. Over to you, Rabbi Schatz. Okay. Um, all right. Hold on. Let me let Renee in here. Okay. Uh, so, Kushiot, any questions? Any thoughts? Um, anything that's sticking out to you that you want to share? Uh, yes, Elon. Yeah. So, I'm curious as to why the Ani Adonai at the end of verse 12. Uh, I, the Lord, what, as opposed to I, your cousin Shlemy? It's not... Hi. What, who, what could possibly, what's the point? Like, why wouldn't you just stop it after um, Shifatim? Why, what, why is that? Not, what's the point of that? Yeah, great. And the rabbis have a lot to say about that. I, don't, I didn't actually bring any of those verses. I don't know if Rabbi Shapiro did, but the rabbis do comment on that quite a bit because it seems a, a bit redundant. Who else would be doing all of this, right? There's no, there's no other... Uh, kind of character or characters that make us think that this would be anyone other than God. So why why do you have to announce yourself and why at the end, why not at the beginning? Great. Other thoughts, questions? Yeah, Jay. Um, two things. First of all, um, something that just hit me right away when we read this was the idea that I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Ah, mm-hmm. not yeah. just the man. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And secondly, um, 
Is the idea in verse 13, when I see the blood, I will pass over you? Is that where the idea of Passover came? So the, so there's two different, first of all, Rabbi Shabbat, can you move your cursor a little bit? Because it's bringing up a thing in the middle of the verse. Oh. Uh, oh, oh. My computer's been doing like the, we, it, that has been popping up all over my screen this week, and I don't know how to fix it. If anyone has any tips on how to fix this, that thing is literally popping up all over my screen this week. Do you want me to turn uh, the screen I, instead? I, I, I will probably need to like close my computer and open it back up again for it to That's fully right. go away. I'll share my screen. Thank you, Rabbi Shots. Okay, you're so welcome. Okay, um, so I... Yes, there are two different places in which we could get the the word Pesach, or in English, Passover. Passover most likely comes from this exact moment of the passing over of the homes. The word Pesach for the holiday most likely comes from the actual Pesach offering, not from this use of the word. Um, so interesting that, that they're the same root and the same word, but two kind of different instances and therefore different places that we get either the English or the Hebrew. So yeah. Other questions, thoughts? Where's the part about, um, I shall take you, I, I, God will take you. I, I don't see it. Is that up? And I don't go through the land. I strike every phrase. Oh, oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. It's at the end of the, of the, first verse of our cluster of verse 12. Yeah, Rebecca. Um, my question would be why the whole blood thing? Um, why does God need something so physical? I mean, it just seems like he's be like, it's, it's, it's um, belittling his, his uh, abilities to, to know who to hit and, and who, with the plagues and who not. I just don't understand why that's there at all. Yeah, great. So, so why blood? Like, why couldn't it have been something else? Why does that need to be the sign that we have? Um, we talked about it, I forget how many weeks ago, but we talked about it a little bit when we were talking about, um, the, uh, the, 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 <laughs> you brought these verses, Rabbi Shapiro. Bridegroom of blood. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I couldn't get all the words out. Um, and how blood kind of comes up in these, and this is like the third instance now, right? Because we also had the plague of blood and how they're being used in these three different ways. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't actually have an answer for that other than it was the symbol that they were using. But, uh, why blood? Great question. Maybe because oh. it shows life. Yes, Rabbi Shapiro. Well, I, I mean, this is this is hopping a little bit ahead to something that I was going to share. I mean, it, it also dovetails with the question of like, why does God need to see it? Right. Like, like, right. why does God, why does God need to see anything? Wouldn't God, wouldn't God be able to sort of know who's where and be able to respond accordingly? Um, maybe, maybe I'll just leave that there as like another kushia that I'll, that I'll offer up that right. we can explore a bit. Um, but, but the question of why, why that verb veraiti, right? Who, wh why would God need to see it? So I'll, I'll leave that there as a kushia for now. Um, I, I have a thought or two on that, and I think it's an interesting piece to, to note in the verb. Great. Other thoughts or questions or comments? I'll just scroll down if people want to see this verse as well. Okay. Well, Rabbi Shapiro, since yours was the last kushia. Looks um, like Denise, it looks like Denise has her hand. Oh, sorry. I couldn't see that when I was sharing my screen. Yeah, Denise, go ahead. Um, okay, so 
I don't know if this means anything or not. The, when we were looking at the passages at the beginning and it was talking about how if you every family has to take a lamb and all that. And in the Hebrew, it said Mise, but like it looked exactly like the way you spell Moshe. And I just wondered if there's like some kind of connection there. Hmm. Let me look back. Um, where did you see that? In the beginning. I, I don't I do it on my phone, so I can't see it now, but got it, got it. it was in the beginning, like when it talks about um each family is gonna take a lamb and you can't have any left over, and if there's not enough of you, you still Oh, have oh, oh, okay. So not not in these three verses. Got it. Okay. I was oh, looking. okay. I didn't know if those were part no, of No, 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 it's not. fine. I was just looking in these three verses and so I couldn't find it and I was very confused. Um okay. Uh, possible. I mean, it's possible that, you know, Moses's name came from an Egyptian. So we're never really sure exactly, like, where did that name come from? It seems to mean that he was drawn out of, um, the water. But yeah, it's possible that that is another place that his name comes up in use, uh, and, and meaning. I have no idea. It's a great, it's a great point to have thought of. And, um, I'll definitely go back and look at it. Hadn't looked at it that closely. Um, Okay, Rabbi Shapiro, since you brought up the last kushia that you said you had stuff to share on, why don't you do that, and then I can go into the other pieces. I want to know where Renee's driving. That's what I want to know. You're going to Renee, make her where are you going? Renee, stay inside. Don't go anywhere. She, you're going to make her unmute while she's driving. <laughs> when you're at a stoplight, you can unmute and, and you can oh, tell so us. Nemeth is joining us. <laughs> she called me. I texted her that she should come. <laughs> okay. Shapiro, go ahead. Oh, look, Susan Nemitz. Hi, Susan. People are never going to listen to this podcast if we just <laughs> talk about random things. Keep going. Oh, Susan. Um, last week. <laughs> no, there's been a lot going on this week. Um, I, I found a comment on it. I'm not sure I find the comment to be helpful or satisfactory, but it's at least thought provoking. Great. In terms of this question about why does it specifically say that that God, right, that God, that God saw the blood, the sense of, of anthropomorphizing God as having vision and God needing to see blood in order to know where not to strike down the firstborn. Um, there's, a, there's a midrash out of uh, the Mechilta that talks about, that asks the same question and saying, yeah, that, that literally there's a verse in Daniel that said, God knows what happens in the dark, which would seem to like, so God has like cool night vision goggles. Um, and, and God certainly then doesn't need to, don't shake your head at me. It's a cool image. Um, that God definitely doesn't need that sign per se. Um, I saw a couple of comments talking about how the placing of the blood is actually for the Israelites, which, which I can talk about a little more, but this verse or this Midrash rather talks about how it, it helps God remember something. And what it makes God remember is actually um, the Akedah with Abraham and Yitzchak, that there's something about God seeing the blood in this case that makes God remember God's covenant with Abraham going all the way back. Um, and because God like has that sort of visual, however you want to conceive that association going all the way back to his initial covenant with Abraham, um, 
that like, that's what that's for. Like I said, I don't necessarily find that to be like a fully satisfactory answer, but it's at least interesting in terms of the narrative and thematic connections going back to the promises that God has made and now like into this particular moment in the narrative. Yeah, it's interesting that then they wouldn't use like a rainbow, right? Like <laughs> those are all- oh, but, but rainbow is rainbows for everyone, right? Oh, like, so like, so like, like it's specifically for- ah, right, got, it. got it, got it, got it. I like rainbows better, but okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> First of all, you can't paint a rainbow on your door. I mean, I guess you could paint a rainbow on your door. You would need to use more than sheep's blood, though. Okay. Um, so we're going to move on. <laughs> that was very interesting. Thank you. Um, Rabbi so- Shots, did you, did you see any of the pieces about how it's how it's more for the people than than for God in terms of the placing of the blood. Did you see any of those sources? Because that's the other thing that I was pinging around about. No, go ahead, because I, I might have seen them, but I didn't focus on them. So go ahead. Well, there, um, there were a couple of particularly interesting pieces. I've, I've mentioned, um, I can't see Karen right now, but but Karen got very excited about it before when I've mentioned Nechama Leibovitz. Right, Karen, did you end up getting those? You can let us know. Um, Nechama Leibovitz brought a couple of interesting pieces that I saw about how the the taking of the sheep and the placing of the blood isn't like, yes, it's for God insofar as it's a ritual to connect the people with God, but it's really about how it alters the psychological experience of the Israelites as they're about to embark upon this moment. Um, she brings from Rambam that there's a symbolic piece here that the lamb was a, was a god seen as a god in Egypt, which goes back to that piece in verse 12, talking about how there will be judgments executed upon their gods, mm-hmm. right? And so some ways that um, and that Rambam talks about this as how for the people it's them freeing themselves from a, a superstitious understanding of what the lamb is right so by killing the lamb you're showing yourself that you are um, f- like moving past basically that Egyptian theology into something else um, and when it comes to uh, there, there was another interpretation from Haktava Kabbalah that talks about how, and, and Ravina Bafia quotes this as well, um, that it's about by, by being so bold as to take an Egyptian god, parade it through the streets, and then kill it and place the blood on your doorpost, you're showing how much faith you have um, in that moment, right? If I'm going to do something so bold as that, it's a sign of true faith and trust that that I will be redeemed. Um, I have never thought about it from that perspective before, about like the the actual like psychological experience of like Yosef Q Israelite and and what what it's like for him to be like walking through the streets of of Egypt with a lamb seen as a god in Egypt and then being so bold as to take that action. Um, and I just thought that that was, that was an interesting perspective, like filtered through the Mafarshim in terms of what, what that must have been like. It's, it's interesting. I've never, I, I never, I've never heard that before. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure what that makes me think of like the characters in this story, right? Like how involved they were or not. I, I don't know. I, I have to think. What, char- what characters? Moses. Like, I'm not sure that, like, I-, I would have to think more about how I think this frames Moses and God, I guess, in in this particular part of the story. 
Do oh, I think it, I, I love it. I think it's great. Okay. But, well, uh, be, because it means that it, it democratizes the experience, right? It, me- right, it right. means that it's a psycho-spiritual journey that each, um, that each Israelite needs to like take on for themselves yeah. um, in order to get out of Egypt, right? That, that um, no one can do it for me, right? Earlier on in the verses, we said about how each household needed to do it for themselves, right? Moses isn't just going around killing lambs willy-nilly around Egypt, right? Each each household needs to do it for themselves. Yeah. And so in order to do that, particularly through the interpretation of, of Haktava Kabbalah, he's saying you need to trust that by taking this essentially heretical action through the eyes of the Egyptians, you got to do that in order to be um, moving on to the next phase of this. And I, I, I think that's powerful. I think, I think that that's an interesting piece to add that I also hadn't thought of before. <clears throat> yeah. Does anybody you, have- you don't, you don't like, you don't, why, why don't you like it? You don't like it. Well, hold on. Let me hear from Bonnie and then maybe, maybe I'll like what Bonnie has to say. Yeah. Bonnie. <laughs> but um, so the idea of the lamb, does this go back to when they lived in Goshen because the Egyptians didn't, like the animals and the herding. I mean, I, I'm I'm not sure that that's where that comes from. Remember that they had to go to a special place because the Egyptians. So the the Israelites took care of goats and sheep. You're connect. You're connecting back to the end of the Yosef narrative. Yes, where they weren't allowed to be in the main part of Egypt because of this particular cultures of of herding these animals which the egyptians i guess were sacred to so i don't know whether that and so where did if they were slaves where did they get all these lambs um if the egyptians did not have Oh, that's interesting i had never thought of that before but that's a great question they are slaves do they just have lambs hanging out around the old homestead um possibly not so they were raiding egypt for lambs and and i thought that the egyptians didn't have those lambs i don't that's why i say i don't know what the culture was like because i know that they were interesting kept way over in that other area of goshen i don't know that is a fascinating dimension of this that i I remember it's what are the logistics of sacrificing lambs in in ancient egypt it's a great question Right, and I also, the interesting, I have only thought about this question that you're bringing up, Bonnie, because in the Prince of Egypt, (laughs) there are lambs running around in the streets right before this scene. And I've always thought to myself, like, what? Noted noted historical text, the animated (laughs) film, The Prince of Egypt. No, but seriously, I mean, I've never, they come at such distance in the Torah that I usually don't remember one to the next in terms of when I'm reading in the Parsha, but... But I remember in watching the show uh, that, that that is a moment where you're like, wait a second, were there actually lambs just like around? How could this even be happening? And is that another thing that God provided to allow for them to feel safety and um, and be able to show that sign on their door? What? You're muted. God just like teleported in a whole bunch of lambs <laughs> so they could sacrifice them. Uh, crazier things have happened. Okay, Denise. Okay, so just for the anthropology perspective, um, two things. Number one, in India, 
where the cow is sacred, there are cows just roaming the streets. Hmm. Um, so maybe it was like that in Egypt too for lambs. I don't know. Interesting. Um, but and also, okay, so like my mom was a volunteer with the King Tut exhibit, and she was really into Egyptian art and stuff. And I always wondered, like, what's the deal with the lamb? Because in the major things of Egyptian art that we see, there's no lamb god. There's a horse and there's yeah. ravens and all kinds of things, jackals, cats, no lamb. And when I went to the British Museum, they have like from the very, very beginning of the old kingdom and there were lambs and it dropped off the pantheon very wow. early on. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Maybe around a certain exodus. Could be. We don't know. <laughs> huh. um, that's really interesting. That's really interesting, Denise, that that it it was at one point and then and then. Was. Yeah. And, it, and then it just drops off and and that's it. It just doesn't come back. Um, I'm about to shift gears to a different piece of these te- of these verses. So if anybody wants to say anything else. On this particular piece, I just don't want to. I don't want to surprise you that I'm going to go in a different direction. Anyone else want to say anything? It looks like Susan's raising her hand, but she's not. But if she wants, she's fixing her camera. I know. Um, okay, so I I'm going to share my screen because it's easier for me to see the text when I talk about it. But um, so. The thing that I, the reason that I thought that this was such an interesting um, cluster of verses is actually because of verse 14, which we haven't talked about so much, but 14 as a way of coming after 12 and 13, right? So if 12 and 13 are saying, I'm going to kill every firstborn of, as Jay pointed out for us, beast and human, Here are the ways that you can remain safe from that plague. And right after that saying, and now you're going to make this a festive day for you that you're going to remember forever. I have a really hard time with that. I, I, I don't believe that, that, um, the, the, the vengeful God piece doesn't bother me as, as much. Um, because I actually think that what the, what the focus is here, and this is where Rabbi Shabbat can bring in how he thinks this is vengeful uh, God, that this piece right here is talking about all of these moments that now I've caused to the Egyptians. After all of this, I want you to find this to be a day of celebration and remembrance. And that's that's a difficult theology. That's also a difficult way of imagining a holiday to be celebrated, at least to me. Um, I would have much preferred this sentence coming after the splitting of the Red Sea, which which had its own complications with Egyptians being killed and whatnot. It wasn't all good. But that seems to be a bit more of a redemptive moment to then say, go and celebrate your freedom, then I'm going to kill all of these people in, you know, who, who just have the status of firstborn. And now I want you to remember that, teach it, and make sure that you celebrate it for generations to come. And when I looked at the commentaries that our rabbis have on this, most of their commentaries are actually on what does it mean forever? Not so much on why celebrate it? Why is this, you know, why is this a hard 
um, kind of moment to get behind in terms of celebration. So before I get to a commentary, Rabbi Shapiro is going to say something. I could feel it. Um, he's going to say something and then, <laughs> and then I'll bring in a commentary. But I, was just gonna, I was just going to make the point that when, when you look at it in translation, I mean, cel- celebration has a, has a specific connotation for us right now, right? Like cool in the gang and all that. Um, but you, you know, in, in the, I'm glad to see people smile at that. Um, Susan's shaking her head at me. Um, in in the in the Hebrew, right, Chag can just be, be like observe slash mark slash celebrate, right? Like like it doesn't have like you will see when it comes to Sukkot, for example, visamachta bechagecha, right? Which seems to indicate that Chag in and of itself isn't necessarily. A, a joyous thing. It means it's an occasion that is marked. Um, and I, I'm still with you in terms of why, why specifically on a day on which there is a lot of death. Um, but it, I'll, I'll just like add the linguistic caveat that we're translating it as celebrate, but celebration doesn't necessarily in the biblical Hebrew have the emotional connotation that we think of. So I, that, that, you know, makes it. Uh, ah, there we go. Rebecca, the word Rebecca just put in the chat. The word comes from circling the altar, which is more uh, marking a special day, right? Perambulate, as I have, as I have heard it. So, uh, but, but yes, right, that it's an observance which has a different um, valence to it. I think, right, and, and maybe actually all the more, all the more so problematic, right? That if you're going to make it a day that is that is commemorated with ritual and with memory and with potentially sacrifice right all those things are are supposed to be just for days that are extremely important and extremely um uh momentous in terms of recognition and so this idea that we would be connecting a moment of really terrible destruction to that memory and to that chag, however you want to define it, that for me is where there's like a, a very big dissonance. Um, I'm looking forward to hear how you how you get yourself out of this corner you've so nicely painted yourself into, Rabbi. What do you mean? You said none of the commentaries like say anything about this, so that means you need to you need to solve for X. What do you what do you understand it? No, I don't. I don't solve. I just ask questions. Yeah, Bonnie. <laughs> So I was thinking that the observe the importance of the observance of that particular day is because rather than after the crossing of the Red Sea was more because that moment marked the courage that the people had to follow through and take that first step to freedom. Oh wow, point. I like that a lot. Um <clears throat> that that occurred to me as well. I was thinking about that because that does connect back right with the the piece that I was suggesting, right? But then but then going back to the the point that Rabbi Schatz was making, it's one lamb per household, but everybody needs to walk across the Red Sea. Right? Like like wouldn't it then specifically be a time when every single person needed to do so uh, yes, right? I I think it it um I'm I'm also wrestling with the questions that Rabbi Schatz asked and excited to hear her answer the questions she so beautifully asked. <laughs> 
Um, I, I'm not sure that I have an answer. I, I think that, that the part for me that's, that's difficult about this is that if we just went with this verse, and obviously there are more that come as to how we're supposed to celebrate Passover and what Passover really means and all the rest of it, that, that it could be that, that this would be a moment for us to, again, not celebrate in like a hip hip hooray way, but in more of a commemorating with fondness way of the destruction of people who, yeah, were not good to us. But as we're going to see later on in the splitting of the Red Sea, even God says to the people, don't celebrate that the Egyptians are dying. Like, that's not okay. And yet, wait, wait a second. <laughs> that's what, that's what we're being told to do right here, right? To remember this day of mass destruction and, and, and annihilation. Um, right. It's like celebrating D-Day, not the actual day the war ended. Right. And so that, that for me is something that, um, when we think about, when we think about the way in which we remember these moments, right, like the plagues, the exodus from Egypt, all of those things, we want to think of, for good reason, Egyptians as the bad guys, Israelites as the good guys, right, because they enslaved us, and so they deserve to have punishment. But by the time we get to this plague of the killing of the firstborn, I don't know about the rest of you, but I feel like that goes like, one step a little bit too far um, because that's what we thought that they were going to do to us, right? At the beginning of Moses's story, that they were going to kill the first boy, born boys. And now all of a sudden, we're just going to turn around and say, haha, we can do it back to you. So that, that for me is where, again, I'm not, I, I don't bring God as much into this conversation, probably because that's not the kind of God that I believe in, um, but but I understand where Rabbi Shapiro is seeing this connection to what you were the one who said that this this shows a vengeful God. No, it might not be a God that you believe in, but it's still the God in the narrative. Uh, uh, yes, I'm just saying that I'm choosing not to focus on it because that's not a theology that I that I uh, believe in or uh, or uh, you know ascribe to. So. Uh, but I do think that it's interesting that the way in which we connect those pieces to how God tells us to then connect to the future of remembering this moment is disturbing and, and yet very interesting. Um, so, Rabbi Shapiro, you can share your theology on this, and then we can see if maybe maybe I'll agree by the end. I probably won't, but maybe I will. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you're alighting the problem and then just reintroducing it, right? You're saying it, it's not a God that I believe in, but the way the day is situated is problematic because it's a sad thing that happens, right? But that ultimately comes back to, it comes back to the same problem, right? If you're asking, well, how can this be a theology or how can this be a day on which we celebrate or mark that something like this happened, it's ultimately the same question, I think, in some ways, right? It's a Venn diagram, but I think there's a lot of overlap. I, I think there's a piece, to, I, I, I don't have a satisfactory answer to it in my head either. I think it's an uncomfortable uh, theology that exists in numerous places through the Torah. I've offered in this forum before that a way of thinking about the Tanakh is 
um, God learning how to be in relationship with people. Um, and I think that there's a piece of that, that, that can mitigate some of that discomfort a little bit for me here. I think there's like a military strategy piece here in terms of like, if you want to triumph over an enemy, you need to make sure you're going to win. Right. We don't, we don't like thinking about God, right. The language of Az Yashir. Az Yashir describes God as Ishmael Hama, a person of war. Um, I, I don't necessarily like that, but the ancient Israelites were a tribe fighting to survive in the ancient Near East. Like things weren't easy and they needed protection and help uh, in a way that they weren't having. I mean, that that's true too. Um, and what we need of God and what we uh, connect to in God depends on who we are as people and depends on the context. So I think there's something to that as well. The experience of ancient Israelites 1200-ish BCE uh, is very different than a bunch of West Side Jews in 2021, pandemic or no, right? It's just a very different experience. And so the way God functions might be different. The way we think about God might be different. Um, but it's still discomforting to hold this up as, as you are asking the question as something that is chukat olam. That is, this is the day that lasts from then all the way until now as something that we collectively mark. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, Elon. But I think that is exactly the point though. To the ancient Israelites, they were tired of getting their asses kicked. Yeah. To finally have a being that was going to break some kneecaps to uh, to take God as Mafia Don on was a moment of celebration for them, right? Because, like, if you've been a victim forever, forever, and, and for hundreds of years you've been slaved, and now you have some being who meets out some punishment vis-a-vis uh, -vis your oppressors, I can – I don't – I don't have it, it, trying to place myself in their sensibility, which is hard to do. I don't have a problem with that. I can understand. Um, I, I, I suspect that um, the survivors of concentration camps, if they had seen uh, immediately after their concentration camps, if they, their concentration camp experience, if they had seen allied forces, uh, acting in a very uh, violent way to their Nazi oppressors, I would assume that they would also celebrate that. Now, we may say, oh, well, how can you do that? But if, if I were in that situation, I might, I might celebrate that. I, th I think there's a, there's, a, there's a dance between making sure that the text is living and connective for us each and every day, week, year, and getting overly a historical in terms of looking at what's happening, right? Like if we're going to, and Elon, to your point, I think if we're going to get into what, again, the experience of the average Israelite was at this point, it's like, oh man, if this is the thing that's going to get us out of here, yeah, of course we're going to mark this day forever, right? This is going to be the thing that makes it possible for there to be a transition out of this miserable situation that we've been in for decades, centuries, um, and things are going to be different now. Yeah, of course we're going to mark that day. I think there's something to that. And if God is the delivering force through which that happens, yeah, great. Literally, thank God, right? Thank God that this is happening so that we can get out of here. Um, 
the actions are uncomfortable, right? It's painful to think about the thousands and thousands of people that were killed to make that happen. Um, you know, got, got as mafia done, uh, or not. Um, and I think then, then sort of like the question back that, that I'm, I, I think the, the contextualization is helpful in terms of mitigating some of my discomfort. And then I think the question back is like, okay, what, a, what's the theology that resonates now in terms of God as deliverer? And what is, what does that look like? And um, sort of like more of a, like a contra- like counterpoint empowering B it's, it's kind of amazing actually that the God of Israel can evolve and shift, whether it's God actually changing or our understanding of God changing. It's kind of amazing that we can sustain a religious civilization for millennia with such a different understanding and experience of God and yet still have so much in common. There's actually something quite lovely in that potentially. I, the way that Elon was describing it um, made me think about this and, and I've kind of gone completely 180 um, that, that there is, there is, when you look at the verse, the, there is potential in looking at this verse as saying, you're going to celebrate the day that, that this happened for you, that you saw this miracle, that you felt this safety, that you, that you knew that God was on your side, rather than, which is the way that I wasn't thinking about it, I was thinking about it in the way that we are to celebrate that all of this destruction happened. And so I appreciate the way that Elon, you, and then Rabbi Shapiro um, uh, kind of framed it because the idea of celebrating that comfort or that that reliance almost in God, now that this is all over, that God is saying, you're gonna remember forever that I told you to make a sign for me so that I knew who you were and you knew that I had your back, that to me feels much better than thinking about this as celebrate this day based on me telling you that all these firstborn people and beasts are going to be destroyed. Um, and so this part, part of why I love this class, because when you just read it in your own head, the way that I read it was very much connected to the destruction rather than the savior piece of, of God. Um, so, so that, that reframing is helping me, um, helping me be okay with this verse. Um, and even though, as Robert Shapiro said, like, it's not, it's not necessarily comfortable to imagine what had to happen for God to, to show that kind of, um, protection. But at the end of the day, we, we, the people then felt protected by, by God's actions that we could move forward, that we could take that next step towards freedom. Uh, so Ilan, it it might also give a little context to your question at the beginning in terms of why the phrase Ani Adonai there, right? That that it's making a point to specify this this is the actor. It occurred to me when I said that 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 there was that connection. Hmm. Any other comments or anybody else now have an, an epiphany or a thought based on these verses? Epiphany is a big word, but you know, maybe. Annie's looking in like she hasn't. She has something to share. <laughs> yeah. I I asked if I if how my teaching was today. Oh, you're teaching. Job. You did a great job. 
You did a great job. The Spar household really, really uh, took it in for a win. Um, <laughs> anything else? Any other thoughts? Rabbi Shapiro? I just want to say that hearing you guys live, even if it's in my car, is far superior than hearing the the pod Podcast. thing. Where I can't where I can't see the two of you. It makes such a difference. Yes. Well, let that let that be a message to our thousands of podcast yeah, I was listeners. Say, I feel badly for all our podcast listeners now, but um, <laughs> we we try to be as dynamic as possible, even if you can't see us. Um, Okay, Robert Shapiro, why don't you uh, take us home? We don't have to like sit here for six minutes just because it's not twelve yet. We can. Uh, I agree. We can close. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I think I'm, I am with you, Rabbi Schatz, in that I appreciate how this class offers the forum for us to, you know, evolve our our own thinking about these verses. I'm always grateful for that. Um, I am still hanging. I, I, I do like this idea of getting into the, and I think in terms of some of the pieces that I was sharing and in terms of breaking down a little bit where we were going in terms of marking the day, getting into the sort of headspace of the average Israelite in terms of the ritual itself and then seeing the deliverance that unfolded. And I guess, um, you know, for me, thinking as well about the experience of each individual person going through a momentous shift in power and leadership um, and seeing both what happens to the people writ large and what happens in terms of the internal experience of each individual going through that major shift. Um, I don't think we have to stretch, you know, bringing that lens too far to think about what has been going on in the world this week and moving forward. Um, and recognizing that there will always be differences of experience and how we perceive the, the events unfolding around us. And that hopefully whatever our experience is that we're finding the concrete actions shots, you're messing with my vibe that we're finding the, the concrete actions um, and the ways of connection to help us, you know, continue to band together to move through into what's next, which is hopefully uh, more, more freedom and more unity. Amen. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.